Gina Della from Pella through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilstadt, before you leave, let, let, let's, get the, let's get the educational aspect of the show completely out of the way. Do you know what today, today is? Flag Day. Today is Flag Day. Absolutely right. It, you know, today is Flag Day. Um, do you know? Um, well, do you know um, when, the, under which president, the holiday was established? Uh, I'm going to say Wilson. Very good. Wow, I'm impressed. Yes, Flag Day was established by President Woodrow Wilson on May 30th, 1916. All yeah. right. Do you know why, though? But of course, we get mail today. Mm. Offices aren't closed. Do you right. know why that is? Um, well, you can only have so many federal holidays where you can give people off of work and spend all that money giving them PTO, right? So right. that's the big issue. Well, actually, the, the real reason is <laughs> back in, in, in 1968, Congress passed what they call the Uniform Holiday Act, okay. where they recognize, uh, e- even though it's a holiday, they recognize the official federal holidays that you get day off. And um, even though it's recognized as, as a holiday, it, it didn't it didn't make the cut. 1968, so it's not part of the Uniform Holiday Act, okay. although there is one state in the Union that does, in fact, recognize um, Flag Day and and closes stuff. Yeah, I'm going to say either Texas or Virginia. Pennsylvania. Ah, Pennsylvania. Man. No, but very, very good. So that's right. And Flag Day is, is all right. One, one, one extra credit um, question, I guess. Um, do, do you know... Do you know what Flag Day? Com- what? Why is Flag Day June fourteenth? What's the history of it? Yeah. I do not. All right. I was trying to think if I could. Okay. Wait. No. You. I, no. You, you, you've been doing together. great. No. You've been doing great. I. I um. Uh, it is this day, two hundred and forty-four years ago, that Congress first commemorated Betsy Ross's oh, creation go. of the Stars and Stripes. Awesome. It's our natural flag. So Flag Day is two hundred and forty-four years old, even though it is not a. Uh, it, it's it's recognized as a holiday, but it's not an official federal right. holiday. So, and of course, it, it's it is you know it's crammed between Memorial Day and the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think it, it gets lost. I have I so I, I got I sort of got intrigued by this. So I was checking down the Flag Day stuff. Um, the current. Do you know how many versions of this is kind of interesting uh, versions of the American flag there have been? There are a lot. Twenty-seven. I, yeah, I was going to say I knew it was double digits. Twenty-seven variations. And, yeah. and here's the okay. The design of the current flag, current flag. Mm-hmm, you know, there's been mm-hmm. twenty-seven. Yep. It was designed. Um, a seventeen-year-old high school student from Lancaster, Ohio. It was part of like this national contest that they had in 1958. To design the, the flag, you know, after Hawaii sure, and left. Yep, so yep. after that came in, so they had more than fifteen hundred submissions. It was under Eisenhower, and so it was a giant contest. And it was a seventeen-year-old high school student named Robert Heft of Lancaster, Ohio, who submitted the design of the current flag. 
<laughs> I'm trying to think of what some of those submissions would have looked like. You're basically just adding a couple of stars to it. Well, I mean, so I, you know, Did someone try something completely bold I, I, and I, different. I, 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 that, I, I, that, that. <laughs> now you've got me stumped. But it is so 1958. But it's a 17 year old as part of a yeah, contest cool. that did it. Now, now, I think that is cool. Now, keep in mind the city of Milwaukee. They did the same thing. They had this contest. People submitted all these things to design mm-hmm. a flag. They got actually some very, very good, I think, ideas. Settled on one that made complete sense, and then the common council refused to accept it so we're back to square one <laughs> all right but at least the u.s in 1958 could get its act together but today is in fact flag day 244 years ago and it all goes back to betsy ross okay the final jeopardy answer 18 and 6 14 and 4 80 plus 9 18 and 6 14 and 4 and 80 plus 9. All right, don't have to call in. I will give you the answer. 18 plus 6. Over this weekend, on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee, there were 18 shootings, resulting in six people being dead. Now, there might actually be be more, because this is the most current number that I have. 18 and 6. Last weekend, 14 and 4. 14 shootings, 4 dead. 80 plus 9. So far this year in the city of Milwaukee, there have been 80 homicides. 80 homicides. And here's perhaps the most alarming situation. That that number, 80 homicides, is 9 more than this time last year. Nine more than this time last year. Last year, there were 189 homicides, which did not just set an all-time record. It shattered an all-time record. And we are, we're on a pace to once again shatter that record. Now, if you look at the numbers, and whenever I talk about this, I always get a couple of emails from people saying, all right, yes, you, you, it's just it's not as bad as you're making it out to be. It, it's it's not as bad as you're making it out to be because, yes, yes, there's a lot of violence in the city of Milwaukee. But you, you have to understand that that most of that violence is concentrated in, in a couple areas. And, and I guess if you want to be technical there there is there is an element of that i mean i was just looking at the numbers from last year and this is according to the journal sentinel young black males accounted for more than 80% of the homicide victims in 2020 and the hardest hit areas of the city were four particular neighborhoods um old north milwaukee that's in north side park west north division and harambe um all on on the city's north side so it is true to an extent that a lot of the the violence now I don't it just doesn't make it it doesn't make it any better but it is true that a lot of the violence is concentrated in certain parts of, of the city but it is an unacceptable level of violence and it is not it is not unique to to again certain parts of the city for example over the weekend shooting two o'clock in the morning on Water Street. You know, where all those Water Street bars are and things of the like, well, you you had somebody shot to death in an argument outside one of the Water Street bars at 2 o'clock in the morning. So you've got that. Plus, you've got all the other shootings. Plus, you have the car thefts. Plus, you have the assaults. Plus, you have the carjackings. All of these different things. Now, the story in the paper... Um, violence prevention advocates working to defuse situations and distribute gun locks. 
and distribute gun locks. Well, look, I, I, I have no problem if you want to give out gun locks, just like I have no problem if in this entire area where uh, cars are being stolen off the streets at record numbers, if you want to, you know, pass out, you know, those security protection devices like the club, which only make it you know, slightly more difficult to steal your car. But I mean, I, I have no problems with giving out gun locks. I have no problems with giving out, uh, again, um, the, the, the club and things like that. But when you look at this escalating degree of violence, and in fairness, it is not unique to Milwaukee. You know, you're seeing this in urban areas all across the country. But it is not getting this attention. I I guess what is is amazing to me is that you can have these numbers. On, on On a given weekend, 18 people shot over this last weekend, six dead. 14 people shot the week before, four dead. 80 homicides already in the city of Milwaukee. And by the way, again, what you're seeing is that the crime, it's spreading all throughout the community. It's outrageous enough that it particularly is in some communities in the city, but now you see it kind of spreading all all over, and you don't hear many answers about this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is there anything that can be done about this, or do we just throw up our hands? Because I will tell you something, I'm not hearing anything from the police chief. I'm not hearing anything from the mayor. I'm hearing almost nothing from the common council. Is is there anything to be done about this, or do we simply kind of like just throw up our hands and say, this is going to be the the new normal, 180 homicides last year, you know, on a pace for more than 200 homicides this year, not to mention all the other shootings, not to mention all the other quality of life things. I mean, is there realistically anything that can be done about this, or is this just the new normal for urban areas, starting with Milwaukee, but again, other places as well? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I swear, and this is the truth, every weekend, and now we're, we're moving into the, the summer where you really typically see the, the amount of violence spike. And look, one of the things that's going on here is, is we do have a, a gun problem. There, there's no question. It's, it's not law-abiding gun owners. It's not concealed carry folks. What it is, it's people who are, in most cases, illegally carrying weapons and, in most cases, probably are not legally allowed to carry them in the first place. And um, so no concealed carry sort of stuff. You go into bars, you get into an argument over something stupid like somebody who's said something to somebody else's girlfriend or whatever and maybe 25 years ago the matter would be resolved by two people like throwing some fists and maybe worst case scenario somebody ends up in the hospital with a couple teeth knocked out and and that's not a good result but nowadays everybody's carrying guns everybody pulls the guns and so instead of in the hospital to get a few stitches what happens is people end up in the morgue I mean I really do believe that that's fueling a lot of this type of stuff but you're looking at these numbers and you, you want to 
talk about a public health crisis. We talk about all these things that are public health crisis, this and that. The, the unacceptable level of violence in urban communities, and particularly in Milwaukee, which is the one we're discussing now, which is now spilling over to shootings, you know, in, in Water Street and things like that. I know there's this, this idea that, well, you know, violence is compartmentalized. First of all, that's not acceptable. You know, you shouldn't have to live in any area in a community where you are essentially a prisoner. You can't go outside because you never know when there's going to be bullets that are going to be flying. That's unacceptable regardless. But now you're starting to see, again, the violence spread. Guy shot outside a bar on Water Street. Okay. 855-616-1620. Tony on the northeast side. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Jeff, when you have a police shooting, everybody comes out of the woodwork from the local to the national scene and the Black Lives Matter movement. Everybody seems to care. But when you have shootings on a daily basis, like Milwaukee, Chicago, and all over, and it's a daily basis, no one seems to give a damn. My question is, where is the Black Lives Matter movement when it comes to this? Well, I think, thanks. I mean, I I think it is, I I think it is fair to say, all right, it is fair to call attention to examples of of policing that that has gone bad. And, And I think that's, that is that is important and that plays a role. But yeah, th- there is that that other larger category when you look at the number of say examples of police misconduct and the police shootings, which are unacceptable and deserve to be called out, and the people who are responsible for them deserve to be prosecuted. But then you compare it to the the overall problem, and you read the descriptions. I mean, eighteen shooting, six dead. It, it's it's not those aren't police. Those are people who um, are are just shooting each other. I, I think my sense is a lot of it is gang related, um, that a lot of the fights break out between you know members of rival gangs. And keep in mind, in the city of Milwaukee, we de-emphasized investigations of gangs and things like that. We, we broke up those departments. We said, no, we, we don't want to commit to doing that. And I think that has turned out to be an absolutely disastrous decision. And we're also in a situation where we say we've got a number of elected officials, and you know who you are, who talk about defunding the police and, you know, we, we need less of a police presence, to which my response would be, we, we need more of a police presence. I mean, you you, you need to, it, you know, look, I understand it's unrealistic to have a police officer on every corner. I, I, I understand that. But if you had more of a police presence, if you had 25% more cops, not fewer cops, so you, you had the... The, the beat police officers, you had the squad cars that were out. Maybe, just maybe, it would deter people who get in that argument in the bar from taking it outside into a parking lot and one pulling a gun on, on the other. And if you look through the number of shootings, and this is not, by the way, a knock on the police office, more uh, more and more of these shootings and these crimes are just unsolved because they're absolutely overwhelmed. I mean, remember just remember Chris Abley, the county exec, former county executive, gets carjacked, you know, what, last December. I don't think they ever caught the guys that did that. And that's the former county executive. But this is, you know, the criminals are, are going with impunity. And, and again, we, we talk about, you hear these elected officials, they don't want to confront the real thing, which is violence in the community. And the idea that the real recollection, and this is the real truth, that a, a large percentage of the criminal activity is committed by a relatively small amount of the population. 
Oftentimes, when you catch the people that are responsible for the shootings or the murders or the carjackings or whatever, it's not their first time at the rodeo. It's people who have been through the system, oftentimes on multiple occasions, and have just been turned back out on the street. And unfortunately, we are moving more towards that direction. Oh, let's not let's not send kids out to Lincoln Hills. Isn't this terrible? Let's just put them on double secret probation and send them back out on the streets. 855-616-1620. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, I think uh, there are three uh, separate uh, possible solutions. One is short term, which is bring back the gang units. Yes. One is medium term, which is get uh, stronger judges in. And every time we have an election, I look for our candidates that are opposing the guys that are in office now, and there aren't any. Nobody opposed. They all run unopposed. Right. And so, and and third, I think that uh, the the Central City family is broken, and I think that uh, if there's some way that we could get more fathers in those homes, that uh, that would be a long-term solution. Every time you see somebody get shot, it's always the mothers that are out crying about it. Well, but there I, aren't any fathers. Well, I think. I mean, th- I mean, I, I think in general, there, there, it's fair to say you've got a breakdown of the family structure, and that that's been that's been going on in a while. Um, and I, I think you see that kind of across communities. I, I do also think that um, it's. You know, you, you can tie some of the crime stuff to you know, socioeconomic conditions, but that, to me, that doesn't explain that. That doesn't explain the here we're going to resolve stuff by pulling out a gun and, and shooting. Now, it might it might describe some of the reasons why kids go to gangs and stuff like that. And again, I I believe that at least a portion of this, probably a good portion of this stuff, is is gang related one way or the other. You get into the fight in the bar, and it's you're a member of one gang and they're a member of a rival gang and things like that. And some of like the, the random shootings you know we're going to drive by we we think we're shooting at somebody who's a member of this other gang i i do agree it short-term perspective it was definitely a disastrous decision a few years back to disband the gang squad and i think if you talk to any milwaukee police officer they will tell you the same bottom line is these numbers are terrible they're not getting any better and for the politicians to come out and say well we need more gun laws nuts to that i mean i i don't care if you want to pass more gun laws pass more gun laws but that's not going to make any difference Difference. We've got to get a handle on this violence if we want the community to be more livable. And isn't that our goal, regardless of whether you live on the north side, the south side, the east side, the west side, or in any of the surrounding suburbs? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, the other thing about the movie Deliverance is it, it's really it's really the movie that made uh, the career for Burt Reynolds. Um, you know, b- before Deliverance, Burt Reynolds and all, had always been kind of viewed as, a, as sort of a, of a TV actor. And, you know, he'd, he'd been sort of like this happy-go-lucky guy who'd made some, like, sort of minor appearances and things of the like. And, and then when they cast him in 1972 as the protagonist i'm not going to say hero but the protagonist in deliverance people saw my gosh this guy this guy can actually act and it's it's just an amazing amazing portrayal i mean i think it's it's clearly 
all the different things that, that Burt Reynolds did. And later on, Burt Reynolds be kind of, became kind of a, a caricature with, uh, that, like the Smokey and the Bandit movies, which were great. And then, you know, later on, some of the other stuff that, that he ended up doing. But that, that movie Deliverance was really what made him a, a star. And um, he, he got the part because the, the director had seen him on a talk show, for example, and, and thought, you know, thought he had I thought he had acting chops that a lot of people just didn't see. So they went out and they, they brought him and it, it started his career. So if you get a chance to go back and, and watch Deliverance, that, that's Ned Beatty in that famous scene. And it's also the movie that made Burt Reynolds a star. All right. In the first segment of the program, we, we were talking about the, the out-of-control crime rate and the fact that Nobody has any ideas. I, I mean, you, you don't, you know, we, we get the same sort of stuff over and over and over again. And, oh, we, you know, we, we need to, we need to give out gun locks. I mean, okay. And again, I, I have no problem with giving out gun locks, but that's, that's putting a tiny bandage on, on something that needs, you know, 50 stitches. That, that's, that's not the, the solution. And in many respects, I think we're moving away from the problem by, by saying, okay, let's defund the police. Let's, when actually you, at least in my opinion you need more of a police presence if nothing else to act as a deterrent because nothing else seems to work but but i i want to share a text with you and this kind of ties into some other stuff uh, about this so i I did ask what are the solutions so here's here's what one of our listeners says jeff this is absolutely the new normal we live in a country where the poor get poorer and the rich get richer every single day okay so because there are poor people and there are rich people, because Jeff Bezos has all sorts of money, that's why two guys on Water Street shoot each other in a bar fight at 2 a.m. Not sure I follow the connection, but okay. Rich get richer, poor get poorer. Um, there are already more guns than people in this country. Why should we be surprised at violence? The sole purpose of guns is to kill people. Maybe we should take guns out of the hands of civilians. All right. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. Now, I I understand that under the the Second Amendment to the Constitution, people have the, the right to bear arms. So in order to take guns out of the hands of civilians, what you would have to do is you would have to repeal the Second Amendment and then... You would have to figure out a way to confiscate slash get all the different gun owners to turn in their firearms. And then number three, you would have to figure out what you were going to do with those people who did not turn in their firearms. But let, let's let's tee this up. Given the unacceptable, I hope we would all agree, level of increasing violence, particularly in urban areas, all right, is it time to rethink the Second Amendment? Would this country, would this community be a better place if if people, private citizens, were not allowed to own guns? And in the real world, is that a practical alternative? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To, to which I, I say it, that the vast majority of guns... I mean, I, I understand on uh, a, a purely intellectual basis, I guess. Well, if, if nobody owned guns, if guns did not exist, you couldn't have gun violence, so you couldn't have shootings. Okay, I, I, I accept that. But in the real world, given the fact that we, we do have private ownership of firearms, is there any way 
that you could force people to surrender their guns. And the people that would, in fact, surrender their guns, I would argue they're not the ones that are the problems in the first place. Because like I say, my guess is if you look at the vast majority of the gun crimes, they are committed by people who aren't legally allowed to own guns in the first place and aren't allowed to certainly use the guns in the fashion they're using them. So I understand it's an old canard, but if you were to do something like this, how are you going to get the guns out of the hands of the criminals? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, people fairly ask me, okay, you, you, you talk on the radio about the out-of-control crime and the car thefts and all that stuff. Okay, what, what would you do? And and. My easy answer is, look, I'd start by reversing a lot of the policies that we've done away with in the name of political correctness. In the city of Milwaukee, I'd reinstitute the gang program. I would reinstitute the broken windows theory of policing, and I'd do everything I can. I'd put another 25% of the police on the street. I would increase. Where are you going to pay for it? Well, okay, this is one of the number one priorities, and I do believe people will pay for safety because it's not a chicken and egg thing. If you have crime-ridden areas, you're not going to get business development. You're not going to get people wanting to move into those areas. So yeah, I and I broken windows, which means that you stop small stuff before it becomes big stuff and holding people accountable. But I understand that's politically incorrect and that's not what a lot of people want nowadays because it's easier just to say, "Oh, the police are an occupying force." So that that's where I would start. But you're always going to have gun crime unless you get guns out of the hands of people. So a couple of folks have suggested, including one or two of my listeners, let's just take guns away from people. Let's just take guns away from people. Here's a text. Jeff, civilians likely own over 100 million guns. I check mine every day, and they're right where I put them. We need strict sentencing for anyone who commits a crime with one. 99-plus percent of guns never shoot a human. Criminals won't turn in their guns if they are outlawed. I agree with all that. Sandy in Stevens Point. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How Hi, are Sandy. you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Um, my my thoughts on this is that law-abiding citizens will turn in their guns. Criminals possess guns that are stolen and are purchased and or purchased illegally. Mm-hmm. So criminals will not abide by the law if you uh, take away our Second Amendment. I mean, it will never work. We need more police on the streets. We need to stop slapping these criminals on the hand and put them in jail and mm-hmm. lock and throw away the key. The key. I mean, it's it's out of control. And taking away our Second Amendment is not the answer. Well, and and as a practical matter, Sandy, let let us say the the Second Amendment disappears tomorrow. It's not, but let let's say it, it, it's repealed, and then you have a federal law that says it is now illegal for citizens to own private firearms okay so that that's what we say yeah all you have done then is make the vast majority of firearms owners in this country you you've turned them into criminals i mean what what are we going to do with people who don't turn in their guns i mean we won't pe- we won't put people you know felons who possess firearms in jail but now we're going to put sandy in stevens point in jail because you decided that you weren't going to turn in your your handgun or whatever that you have for self-defense I, it's just it, it's just crazy Right. And you and I are going to, again, we're, you and I are going to abide by the law. So if that were all of a sudden in in right. effect, you and I are going to say, oh, my goodness, we need to turn our gun in because, we, you know, we're right. afraid of what's going to be the repercussion if we don't. 
the, the criminals are not going to pay right. attention to the law. They don't pay attention to it now. Why would they pay attention to that? Well, right. And, and you and I, Sandy, I, aren't, aren't the problem. Okay. I, I've owned a handgun since I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Okay. I, it's, it has never occurred to me to take that handgun and go rob a liquor store or take it into a bar and get into a fight and, and go out in the parking lot and shoot somebody. That, that's, that is not on my radar screen. My guess is that's not how you would ever use a firearm either. We're not the problem. Why don't we figure out what the problem is, and then target that small percentage of gun owners who are creating the problem. Right, so. and it's the politicians that are creating the problem because they have their heads in the place where they don't belong. Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Well, it's also it, it's also look there there. There is there is a reluctance. You you get this argument saying, okay, well, we're incarcerating too many of this type of person or that type of person or 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 whatever. And see, I just I, I'm all in favor of, of kind of like trying to figure out root causes. I mean, what what is it that possesses somebody to join the gangs, and what is it that possesses somebody to do the drive-by shootings? And and if you can deal with root causes, I, I'm all in favor of that. But but I'm also a result kind of guy, and, and I think you know once people have made the decision to commit criminal acts, that's where you got to come down on them. And, and I do. That's why like I can say broken windows, big proponent of gang squads. Let's target the people we know are the trouble. You could go to the Milwaukee Police Department, and they're, they're going to tell you, look, in the city of Milwaukee, ninety five percent, probably more, of the residents are law abiding citizens who who don't want to get in trouble, just want to go about their lives on a daily basis. They want to be good neighbors. But then you've got that certain percentage of, of people. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 3%, I don't know, maybe it's a half a percent. But those are the people that are causing the problems over and over and over again. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? Real well. What do you think, sir? Well, think of it this way. I'll stipulate for the fact that you, alright, fine. Uh, Second Amendment is repealed. Um, all the gun owners turn in their, all the law-abiding gun owners turn in their guns. Hey, what happened during Prohibition? Think about it. You actually created an underground industry yep. that that fueled the mob, fueled the development of the mob, yeah. a mafia. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. They were basically out of business once it, once they repealed that. You know, once they brought it back in again. So I mean, it was. I mean, you can't unring the bell yes. of what it takes to manufacture a gun. All yes. right. Anybody, it's, it's it's there forever. Anybody. So you know, all the components are there. And it's just, right. it's almost nobody, nobody really thinks it all the way through to the end point. They, they come to their, their right. you know, to their reaction point, then they stop. They don't complete the thought process of what it really does take right. or doesn't take. To enact something, some right utopian dream like this. Well, right, exactly. And, and how how are you going to do it? And for example, uh, one of the things that's been done is, is you've seen different gun buyback programs in places. And and I'm look, I, I'm I'm not against that if people want to be encouraged to surrender their firearms. But but who, look at these gun buyback programs. As a general rule, the people that are turning in the gun buyback programs are not the criminals. That that's not it. And you should see. I mean, a lot of times what happens is you know that they, they give you money. You turn in some crappy gun that probably, you know, if you pull the trigger, might blow up in your face. You, you turn that in. You get some money. People use that to turn around and buy another gun. Look, it, it, it's a huge problem. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I say you, you start with going back to where we were a long time ago, which is let, let's say that the small stuff matters. Let's focus on a law enforcement response. Let's recognize that defund the police is nuts 
and instead we need to figure out how to fund the police. Let's get a police presence on the streets. Let's hold the prosecutors and the judges accountable if they decide to slap the wrists of criminals. And let's hopefully make neighborhoods a little bit more livable. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And so, Melissa, we just wanted to see if people were listening, and, and they were. Because during that report, we had the thing from Tom Hardicourt where he's talking about this like awesome reliever. And and we didn't mention the name of the reliever, but it's Josh Hader. Obviously. Josh Hader, yes. Yes, it's yes. obviously yes. But a number, I, we just wanted to see if people were listening. And they see, who's the, you didn't mention the name of the awesome reliever. We got to the end of the report, and we were like, yeah, oh, you, you know what? I were both off the air. I said we didn't Peter. mention exactly who that yeah. was, but it's Josh Hader. You know, here's here's the cool thing. I um, a couple years ago, we used to, when they let us go into the dugouts and do the opening day mm-hmm. stuff. I I got a chance to interview him the first two years, and this is it was up here, and he's he's a nice young man. He really yeah. is. He he. I really I I like. He kept he he wouldn't. He kept calling me sir. Oh, that's <laughs> what know? I said. Right, and I said you you don't have to do it. He just he couldn't help himself. But it, it, that's that that's that's obviously how he was brought up. He's Something incredibly that comes polite. Uh, right, it's, right. It was exactly right, sir. And it, it it got to be kind of you know funny and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But I would just it, incredibly talented. And at least my dealings with him. And I guess it's tough. You can't tell from like a couple ten minute conversations and stuff. But a really really nice young man and i'm glad to see that he's had the success that he has had yes it sounds like also that this is going to be one of those afternoons that we uh, have from time to time it on the program be, with yeah. traffic right yeah. now 94 westbound closed at holly road because of an incident we did get a phone call on that as well from one of our listeners um police are on the scene not sure exactly what's going on but just if you're traveling that direction you don't wanna, don't wanna, right yeah just, <laughs> just right, don't. that's what we say just just don't <laughs> yeah. until until the thing opens up because exactly. you will be unhappy all right now i gave I gave Eric Bilstadt the low-hanging fruit on this, but, you know, I so th- this is the, the tougher challenge. I said, do you know what today is? And he said, it's Flag Day. And so we talked a little bit about Flag Day. But that was the low-hanging fruit. It is also some other national day. Do you happen to know what, Gosh, what that is? You know, Flag Day would have been my guess, but... Uh, and, you, and then that's I, the low-hanging fruit. That's the yeah, easy I one. I don't no. know. It's National Bourbon Day. Oh, that's right. Up your alley. It, it is. It is. It is National Bourbon Day. A- absolutely. And so I, I, I had, I had not realized that till I was kind of doing my show prep and stuff. And I said, okay, well, that's that is God's way of telling me, right? <laughs> a- as it. a bourbon drinker, that this is it. Yeah. I, I gotta gotta go and have have a have a cocktail or something involving bourbon later on. Do you, do you consider yourself kind of an aficionado? Like you kind of can taste. You do little tastings. Well, or? oh yeah, I, I have I have a couple friends who are really aficionados. I'm kind of the wingman, you yeah. know, and, and that I, I mean. I, I listen to them. I one of one of the things I was saying this the other night that I really want to do is I want to go on on like the Bourbon Trail, which is you know you, you go to Kentucky and there's all the big different distilleries that mm-hmm. you can go from one to another, and you can go to the Woodford Reserve one, and you can go to Eagle Trace. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't have that sophisticated a palate. It's kind of like I, I can tell the difference between cheap stuff and and good stuff, mm-hmm. and I've sort of. Uh, Nowadays, bourbon is so popular you can really spend stupid money on 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 oh, bottles yeah. and stuff. And hundreds I, of dollars, right? Hundreds, <laughs> yeah. hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And so I'm I'm kind of at the sweet spot. I that's I, I buy good bourbon, but I I've, I've had bottles of of the really expensive stuff, and I I don't enjoy. 
the, the difference between a $45 bottle of bourbon and a $125 bottle of bourbon is kind of lost on me, you know, but I, I have a couple of those expensive ones that have been given to me as gifts or whatever that, you know, you pull out on special occasions yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, but that's... I'm kind of like that with wine. I, yeah. I do like a good white wine. I can't do red, but, uh, you know, it's interesting because someone gave me a really good bottle of, I think it was Pinot Grigio for my birthday last year, and I tasted it, and I had never tasted like a... I guess a fancier or a right, higher yeah, sure. quality. Once you taste the higher quality, it's really hard to go back to oh, you know. See, the, that's, that's interesting. The ten dollar bottle of wine. Right. I have, I'm I'm not a wine drinker in yeah. particular. I mean, I, I I it's it's not like I'll turn it down and stuff. But I, I'm not particularly a wine drinker. Sure. But again, I, it's same sort of situation. I, I have some friends who are, are collectors and stuff, and including one of my buddies who he kind of like in, in almost like invest. He'll buy he'll buy. A, a venture, he'll commit to buying a case of like a, a wine that hasn't been produced. He, he likes the the vineyard, so uh-huh. you know, he'll go to the winemaker and he'll commit to buying a case of the you know twenty twenty three wine, even though it in, because you know you know that. But anyhow, you know he'll he is very very generous and will go over and you know to serve the wine. Mm-hmm. And I always feel com- I, I I mean it, it's it's great. I mean, and you're talking about we're talking about really stupid money types of wine, and it's interesting because I. I mean, I, I can tell cheap wine, but I can't yeah. really tell the difference between a thirty-dollar bottle of wine and a two hundred-dollar bottle of wine. Well, I've never I, had I, a two hundred-dollar bottle of wine, but yeah. I can tell the difference between a ten-dollar bottle of wine and a forty-five-dollar bottle of wine. Uh, yeah. well, <laughs> I can tell the difference there. Well, that that just tells you yeah. you need to go buy those forty-five-dollar bottles of wine. Yes, but today is nat- National Bourbon Day, so if you're uh, if you are a bourbon drinker and and Aren't we all? You know, you can just hoist the glass a little bit later and on. And just a quick reminder, I want to remind people of the traffic issue Absolutely. going on right now. 90, oh, there's a camera. 94 Ooh. westbound is very, very backed up. It's closed at Holly Road because of an incident. Uh, police are on the scene, so just be patient. If you are planning to travel in that area, don't do it right now. Yeah, uh, 94 westbound closed at Holly Road, so yes, and we'll major backups. Keep you updated. Yep. Yeah, just, just find an alternative route, whether it's Blue Mound or Wisconsin Avenue or whatever, because if you get on right now, you are are not going anywhere and then see and then since you're listening to us you you're you know you're, you're one step ahead of the crowd because other people they're going what's going on here but if you're listening to wtmj we've told you the thing is closed hey one one note about the brewers and you know, this is and by the way kudos to the bucks bucks came back two very big wins and and yesterday kind of a classic example of of what happens when you you pass the ball and what happens when your star player who for all his many talents really can't shoot three-point shots, but he shoots five instead of shooting like 12 or 13 and missing them. Um, but they passed the ball, played really, really well. And now you almost think that, that they have the upper hand in the series, especially since you know the Nets have three star players. One is Kevin Durant, who's absolutely often awesome. The second is Kyrie Irving, who um, twisted his ankle really badly. If, if you saw it, he, he kind of came down, and it was, it was no intention or anything. He landed on Giannis's foot, and his ankle just kind Kind of rolled, and for anybody who's ever rolled an ankle, I, I just—I'm sure he's getting all sorts of therapy and stuff. But normally, you, you don't just bounce back from that right away. And then their third star player, James Harden, has been out for the series so far because he tweaked his hamstring um, 43 seconds into Game One. I, whether he's able to play or not, you don't know. But again, that's. With, with the injuries, it seems to be if the Bucks can keep this momentum going, that would be just a great way to come back. Um, also, the, the Brewers. I mean, the Brewers are in first 
place. Um, they're tied with the Chicago Cubs. They've got one of the best records in baseball. The San Francisco Giants have 48, have 40 wins, but, um, the Brewer and the Dodgers have 39, but then the Padres, the Cubs, and the Brewers all have 38. So the Brewers ha- have one of the best records in the National League. And, and they're within two games of having the best record in the National League. And they're doing this with, with more injuries than you can possibly imagine. I mean, you got Lorenzo Cain, who was penciled in to be your starting center fielder. You know, he's been on and off the injured list, is on the injured list, and is out of action until at least the beginning of next month. Colton Wong, who's just, um, I think was on the verge of having an all-star year. They brought him in as second baseman from uh, St. Louis. He He's back on the injured list. I think he'll be coming back. Travis Shaw, their third baseman, he's going to be out maybe till August, maybe the rest of the year. You hope it's not that bad, but he injured his shoulder. Then you've had all the different pitchers that have been through problems, and, and yet they've still got this record. You wonder what this team's going to look like if, if Christian Yelich becomes Christian Yelich again. You get Lorenzo Kane back. Um, Colton Wong comes back. I mean, th- this could be, I say could be, a special season for the Brewers. Um, one of the benefits that they're getting now is they're playing... Th- these injuries have happened at a time they're in a part of the schedule where they're playing... The, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are just a hot mess, and the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are a hot mess, and Cincinnati, who's so-so. This week after the Cincinnati series, the Brewers go to play Colorado, and, and Colorado's not that good. And then they go to Arizona, and Arizona's awful. So they're, they're playing, even with their injuries, they're, they're playing some of the lesser teams. But that's good. That, that's okay because you still got to take care of business, and you you got to you got to beat up on the teams you're supposed to beat, and that's exactly what they're doing. So it's a great, great. Uh, I tell you, between the Bucks and the Brewers, looks like a great summer to be a Wisconsin sports fan. Okay, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so Melissa, we, we covered its Flag Day today. It's National Bourbon Day. Do you know whose birthday it is today? A national figure? National figure birthday. Uh, You're going to kick yourself on this one. Oh, I don't know. Uh, President Biden? No, President Trump. President Trump. Donald Trump's birthday, June 14th, 1946. He uh, turned 75 today. Wow, I wonder how, how he's celebrating. I, 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 I'm told, the reports are, that he is at one of the Trump resorts, this one in Bedminster, New Jersey, and he is, he is celebrating with, well, I would guess. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I, I mean... I, That'd be my I, first guess, but... Yeah, well, that, 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 <laughs> I guess uh, that's... If I had my own golf resort, I'd be out there playing golf yeah. as well. So happy birthday to President Trump. Hey, um, and we will keep you updated on the traffic stuff, the... The, the closure of Westbound's 94, um, we're, we're, they're not saying for sure. I don't believe it is an accident. The, the reports we're getting is that it's one of those deals where um, they, they say an incident, and some of our, our listeners are saying that they're seeing several police walking the expressway, which is what happens if they're investigating. There, there's a lot of reasons for it, but commonly it's if there's a report that there's a shot fired or something, and they're 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 out there searching, looking for evidence. So That's was, what typically happens. Right. The Wisconsin DOT, they call it a law enforcement activity. Right. So until right. we know any more than that, but we've We've seen this before in the past, right? Where they, yeah. they they go, they're they're just they're they're walking up and down, and they're they're looking to see if there's evidence mm-hmm. of of whatever. So it's not it's not a collision. It's not like there's a truck that's turned over or anything like that. It's it's the police are out there conducting an investigation, and sometimes that gets done quickly. Sometimes it it, 
it can take a while. So we'll continue to keep you updated. But again, the operative phrase is if you're trying, at least at this point in time, to go west out of the city of Milwaukee on I-94, you want to find a different route. Um, go further west, take Wisconsin Avenue, take Blue Mound, do whatever till you get past this incident, then you can get back on the freeway. Hey, I just I want to give you an update on something that as long as we're talking about sports and all, this if you will remember, game three of the Bucks Nets game, there was an incident where Kevin Durant, who is the yeah, he's he's an All Pro, he's destined for the Hall of Fame, he's he's New York's, he's, he's the Brooklyn Nets, he's, he's their best player, and he's an awesome player. And the Bucks have the, the, their guard PJ Tucker, who they traded for in the middle of the year, and he's one of these defensive specialists. And, and Tucker is that that that's how he's made his living in the NBA. I mean, he he. You put him on the other team's best player, and and he guards him. And he does just an absolutely great job. And he he's aggressive, and he talks trash and stuff. But he's I guess he's one of those players that if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you probably don't. But anyhow, there was an incident in in game three where Thomas uh, Tucker and PJ Tucker and Durant they they end up going face to face, and it's one where they have to be separated. And if you saw the footage, what happens is there's this guy that comes running off the Nets bench, and he, he he's just a mountain of a man dressed in black, and and he kind of jumps in between them and he pushes. The, the Bucks player, P.J. Tucker, which is kind of interesting because normally security people don't don't get physical with, with the players. You try to get between them. Well, as it turns out, this guy, he, he's he's Kevin Durant's bodyguard who happens to be on the payroll of the, the New Jersey Nets. Now, I understand why Durant has a bodyguard. I'm, my guess is a, a lot of these NBA players do. What is kind of unique is that he's on the payroll for the Nets. And what's even more unique is that Durant's bodyguard decides that the way he's going to break up this fight is to go after one of the Bucks players and, and push him away. Anyhow, the NBA has investigated that, and um, he has now, this is the quote-unquote security guard slash bodyguard, he has been suspended for um, the, the remaining games of of this series. Um, again, he's a personal security guard for Durant that's on the payroll of the Nets, but the NBA has said, nah, you, know, you can't come off the bench, you can't get physical with players, so the guy's been suspended, which to me is the right result. Back with more in just a minute, this is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. I guess I look at this next story and think If you don't want to do it, you should probably find another job. Here is the story. Um, There is there's a health care system in in Houston, Texas, um, part of like Houston Methodist Hospitals Network. And their rule is they said, look, um, if you're going to work here, you must be vaccinated. You know, no, no ifs, ands or, or buts. You have to be vaccinated. And what happened is a number of the, the workers just just refused. Now, the hospital did give exemptions to a certain number of employees, like 285 employees got exemptions for either religious or medical reasons. But they had to make their individual case and they had to to document them. In addition, some employees, like, for example, ones who were pregnant, they got deferrals. 
but their overall policy is you've got to get vaccinated. And unless you can verify that you've got a medical condition that exempts you or that you've got a legitimate religious objection to this or, again, it's a pregnancy or something like that, you've got to get vaccinated. So what happened is there were about 170 employees in the healthcare system that didn't fit into one of those categories. They couldn't get an exemption or a deferment. And the, the hospital said, okay, here's the deal. You have, this was last week, you have until such and such a date, and if you don't do it, you are going to be suspended for two weeks without pay. And if you haven't gotten the vaccination in that two-week period, you are going to be fired. So that's exactly what happened. You had about 170 employees who didn't qualify for one of the exemptions. They 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 were suspended without pay. And they brought a lawsuit in federal court in Houston seeking what's known as an injunction, seeking to have the judge order the, the hospital to take them back. And the argument was the hospital does not have the right to force us against our will to get a vaccination, even if we don't have one of these, again, exceptions. We're, it's not a religious objection. We can't prove that it's a medical objection. We just don't want to get it. So the federal judge um, over the weekend in in Houston um, dismissed the lawsuit, essentially threw out the lawsuit and said, look, that um, this policy that the hospital has is a reasonable policy and their order to mandate inoculations for their employees is consistent with public policy. Here's what the judge said. The hospital's employees are not participants in a human trial. The hospital is trying to do the business of saving lives without patients' lives without giving the COVID-19 virus to them. It is a choice made to keep staff, patients, and their families safer. So in this case, you've got a private employer who said, look, we're going to, we are going to mandate our employees get the vaccine. If you don't, and you don't have one of these exemptions, you're, you're gone. And the federal judge said, that's okay. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think? Should an employer have the right to, again, require, and you have the exception, it's not a religious, let's take that out. It's not a religious situation. It's it's not a, you've got a medical condition that would prevent you from getting the vaccine. It's just somebody who, for whatever reasons, does not want to get it. Should employer, unemployer have the right to require, as a condition of employment, somebody to be vaccinated? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in this context, it, it, it's health care, which is different, perhaps, than, you know, a, another type of business setting. But but maybe not. You know, maybe not. 855-616-1620. And, of course, the employee always has an option. The employee has an option of saying, okay, well, if you're going to make me do this, I'm going to, I'm, I'm out the door. See you later. Don't let the door, you know, I, I won't slam the door behind me. 855-616-1620. You may disagree with me about this, but I think employers have the right. Maybe it's not the right thing to do, but employers, I think, have the right to require vaccinations and employees have the right to then say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go work someplace else where they don't require me of this of me. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, uh, this hospital system in, in Houston, one of the larger hospital systems, they, they've mandated that um, all their employees get the COVID-19 vaccination. Now, they've accepted them exceptions for if you can prove you've got a medical condition, if you can prove it's a legitimate religious objection, they'll, they'll give you a waiver. And you can also defer it if you're, for example, pregnant or something like that. But otherwise, you have to get it. 170 people didn't fit one of the exemptions. They... Then um, they, they were put on two weeks notice, suspended without pay, and they will be fired at the end of two weeks if they don't get the shots. They sued over the weekend, Saturday in particular. federal judge said, nope, the employer has the right to require its employees to get this vaccination. 855-616-1620, did the employer get it right? I, I think the answer to, to me is, is yes. I mean, now, it, it, there's going to be some consequences, including the fact that they're probably going to lose a lot of employees who are going to decide we don't want to do it. But I think, especially in a healthcare setting, I think they have the right. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I yes, see. I agree with you 100%. It's a safety issue to the patients who are in there who are sick, and therefore their immune system and their systems are very vulnerable. It makes It's the same as if you're a construction worker and you have to wear a hard hat. If you don't wear a hard hat, you're not working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other people who wear glasses to do some kind of work of, um, in a foundry where they're doing soldering and whatever, you have to wear glasses. If you don't, you're not working. Okay, so let's let's. I'm curious as to how you would come down on it. Let's assume this isn't the healthcare situation because you're right. The, the judge was saying, look, they're trying to keep patients safe, and you, you don't want people interacting with folks who have compromised immune systems. Let's take it out of the healthcare area. Let's say. It's a radio station, you know, let, you know, where, where you're not really interacting with the public. You are interacting with other people. What, you know, a private employer, like, like a radio station, should they be able to say, okay, all of the employees, you have to get shots? Well, it's their business. It's their right to make certain kinds of uh, rules, mm-hmm. you know, like you can't eat here or you can't do this. They have the right to make rules, and if they want that rule, they have that right. Okay, thanks for the call. Now, it, 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 it's sort of interesting because it, in many states, including Wisconsin, you, you cannot punish people for engaging in a legal activity, in a legal activity. So, for example, an employer couldn't come in, I don't think, and say, all right, um, we're we're going to you, you are not allowed to to you you are not allowed to drink alcohol on your own time. You know, you, you, you couldn't do that because alcohol, again, you, if, if you're drunk and, you know, end up doing something or drunk and driving, that's a different story. But in, in general, in most states, they're, they're, you, an employer can't stop you from engaging in a legal activity when you're on, on, your own, on your own time. Now, this is, of course, the flip side of that because here you have the employer that is saying, okay, on our time, if you're coming to work, you have to end up doing it. I, I think it, it's a... It's a tougher case and it's less compelling, but I again I, I think employers have the right to do this, and I think that then employees have the right to say, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, see you later. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I've worked in healthcare my whole life. Um, they, as an independent enterprise, have the right to set their own rules for their business. On a personal note, one of my nursing homes I contract with did not mandate vaccinations. A number of employees at this nursing home did not get 
get vaccinated. What transpired is a number of employees contracted COVID and the nursing home had to be shut down from visitors, not to mention all of essential activities that were also shut down. This to me was incredibly unfair to the residents of the nursing home who were all vaccinated. I supported healthcare businesses' rights to mandate vaccinations. Yeah, I think you're you're more likely to see this in the healthcare setting where you can make the more compelling argument. And keep in mind, I mean, there, there is a history. There are, there are a number of health networks, for example, in our listening area that require flu shots. Now, there is a difference, and we're going to get to that in some of the comments, between the COVID vaccine and flu shots. Jeff, my wife is a nurse, and they have to get the flu shot. I would agree with you once the vaccine is fully approved. Since it's not at this moment, my wife doesn't have to get it, so I would say I disagree with the decision. You see, that that is is one of the keys, The and, and a number of people are, are making that distinction. Now, again, I, I'm vaccinated, didn't have a problem with it, but the, the vaccination is still... The shot is still classified as, quote, unquote, experimental, um, whereas the flu shot is not. So the argument some people are making is as long as it's classified as experimental, that changes it. I'm not sure of the, you know, I'm not sure of that distinction. Um, Jeff, if you can prove people have positive antibodies, which makes you at least as immune as vaccinated people and possibly at risk for getting the vaccination on top of the antibodies, you should not be required to get it. Jeff, these vaccines are only conditionally approved for use during the pandemic. I don't think the vaccine should be allowed to be required by employers until it receives full FDA approval. Um, Jeff, I heard that uh, OSHA has said that if an employer mandates the vaccine, then they are responsible for any adverse events the individual experiences. Does that apply here? I, off the top of my head, I, I don't know what the status is of employer liability for doing that. Um, Jeff, especially in these circumstances, I think the business in the healthcare f- field, it's the primary directive to help others be healthy, um, ensuring your employees are vaccinated so they do not spread a disease that can kill others, to me, is just common sense. Jeff, this infuriates me. The shot has emergency approval only at this time. I would definitely quit. Well, that, of course... You know, is, is the risk that the business runs? Cause I, I'm sure there are a number of people who are either going to quit or be fired or, or whatever over this. And, you know, you're, you're already struggling to provide the, um, to provide the staffing levels. It, you know, it's interesting. A number of people in the text line are making the, the point that it's, it's conditional. It's only been approved conditionally for like quote unquote emergency use. I'm not, I, I wonder if that would, as in the real world, Okay, that the people, the 170 people who decided that they weren't going to get the vaccine, I, I wonder if it had been approved, you know, and, and it'll be approved at some point in time, but when it is approved, whether that would have changed the dynamic. I mean, see, my guess is, my guess is that, that FDA approval is sort of a red herring one way or the other, because my guess is the people that, the people that don't want to get the shot, it's not so much does this have emergency approval or does it have regular approval. It's that they don't want to get the shot. I mean, I I I, I talk to folks who have made the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated. Now, that's not the decision that I made, but it, it I don't hear a lot of times. Well, it, it doesn't have the formal FDA approval. I hear 
well, gee, we don't know what it's going to look like six months from now or a year from now or two or three years from now. And we don't want to be, you know, uh, guinea pigs as, you know, and we don't want to find out three years later that Operation Warp Speed was a disaster. So I'm not sure it's the necessarily it's whether the FDA formally approves it or not. I'm not sure that's what the real big deal is. I just think it's people who, in many cases, just just don't trust vaccines or don't want to get um, the vaccine. Jeff, we had a friend of ours um, this weekend. They were saying uh, that, that was, was sick this weekend from a complication of the vaccine. I feel no one should be forced to take this. And again, you're not you're not forcing somebody to take it. You're you're saying uh, it, it's your choice, but it is a condition of your employment. And of course, you, you always you always this is a free country. You always have the ability to, you know, walk away. Jeff, taking the shot or losing your job is not a choice. It's coercion. Well, I mean, I, I guess you can look at it different ways there. Their their policy is you have to be vaccinated, and if you're not vaccinated, you can you can take your services somewhere else. Jeff, I think the effect of this is employers are going to lose a lot of employees. I do agree with that, and that's why I think that many many probably most private sector non healthcare employers aren't going to take this step. It, the the health care is kind of a different sort of thing because I think they're, they're concerned, again, that somebody can contract COVID, can come to work, they're asymptomatic, they can have um, interaction with somebody that's got a compromised immune system, they can give them COVID. So, and then, then you're kind of off to the races. In most most private employment settings, you're, you're not necessarily dealing with that. So that's why I think that for most private sector employers, you're, you're not going to see the mandate. At least that's that's how I would um, read it. Jeff, my belief is they have the right to mandate vaccines in any business. They could offer the option of wearing a mask continuously if someone refuses to be vaccinated. That's I was telling the story earlier. That's a couple places I go, couple couple restaurants I go to. That that's what the policy has been for the servers, for example, and the, the wait staff and the bartenders and things like that. If you can prove to management that you have been vaccinated, then you do not have to wear a mask when you're dealing with with the public. And if you either can't, and so if you can't do that then you got to wear a mask that that's the way that they deal with that and of course if you're vaccinated and you still want to wear the mask you can do that as well but that's that's kind of the 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 carrot that i know a lot of private employers are saying is saying look if you want out from under the mask rules if you don't like wearing a mask in these different settings no problem you can do this but this is what we need you to do. Anyhow, the case came down quickly. It will probably be appealed. So my guess is this is going to work its way through the court system. But my sense is this is probably what the law of the land is going to be. Employers will be able to require it, particularly if you create these exemptions and exceptions for legitimate religious objections and or legitimate health concerns. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Coming up in the next hour of the program, we're talking used cars. I've got a really interesting story. And Republican U.S. Senator Ron Johnson gets himself tossed off of YouTube. We'll discuss all of that. I, on this program, I don't 
generally spend a lot of time talking about foreign affairs, particularly foreign affairs that don't directly result, uh, react, don't directly impact the United States. But there, there's been something fascinating going on over in the Middle East. And o- over the weekend, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is Israel's longest serving prime minister, who's been the prime minister for like the last 12 years, and it's kind of ruled with, with an iron Iron fist. Um, he, he's now out. Um, there, there's been multiple. See, the way it works in Israel is there's not two parties. There's like 13 different parties, and they have sort of a parliamentary system. So what happens is they have all these different elections, and then you have to build like a, a you have to build a coalition government. And Netanyahu was able to do that for years and years, but he's kind of worn out his welcome a little bit. And so what's happened is a number of the opposing parties got together and um, have have essentially dumped him. But for the first time in over a decade, you know, he's not going to be the Israeli prime minister. He's been very, very pro-United States. The United States has, of course, been very pro-Israel, particularly under Netanyahu. And now we're moving into certain, certainly um, uncharted territory. He was the dominant politician of the last decade in the Middle East. Don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, but it will be interesting. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Melissa and Gru producing the show today, and always. I, I, every once in a while, these things come along that just make me feel old. So during the break, I was looking at my email. And, and what happens is in our, our company, when, when there's job openings, they, 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 they announce them, you know, and they give people internally the opportunity to, to, to do it. And see, now I grew up in, in radio over the last 20, there, there's various positions. There, there's on-air, like newsroom maybe, or talk show hosts. And there's what you do, Gru. There's producers. And then there's the sales staff. And there's the people who work in what we call traffic, which is the folks who schedule the schedule the commercials and things like that. Now, those, those are kind of the... Those are sort of the traditional jobs that, you, and and then lately, of course, you also you have people who work in IT that help people like me out when I go and I say, I can't print the printer's not working. Can you please help me out? So, but but those are, I understand all those types of jobs. So here's here's the the note. It says program programmatic manager opportunity. We're looking for a programmatic manager to join our team. The position can be based in Atlanta, Chicago, New York City, or Milwaukee. Career description is attached. Now, I've never heard of a programmatic manager, programmatic manager, programmatic. Programmatic? I guess it has to do with programming? No, 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 it doesn't. But I I can't tell you because then I click on the thing that has the (laughs) description, Mm -hmm. and I, 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 I read the description. And, and it's, it's this complicated, lengthy explanation of it. I have no clue what this job is. <laughs> I, have, I, I can't even translate. Good Karma Brands is looking for a programmatic manager to lead all aspects of programmatic campaign implementation. As the programmatic manager, you will be instrumental in vetting and onboarding DSP based on your industry knowledge and prior And it goes on. I, I'm, I'm sure this is a key role. I just don't know what it is. Okay, so I just looked at programmatic. It's uh, of the nature or according to a program, schedule, or method. <laughs> okay, that doesn't help us any. Oh, no. no, no, this isn't like a program director's. But no, this is, I think it's, I, I, I could only be guessing. But anyhow, I, 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 read, the, I read the whole job description. And again, it's, I, I just, I link this in the category of just making you feel old because I have no idea what this is. <laughs> so... I won't be applying for it. Do you have any idea, Gru? You, you have you you have no idea either. It's okay. So, 
Okay, you guys are younger than me, so we, we don't know what this job is. So here's another one. What is programmatic, and why is everyone talking about it? It's an article out there. Oh. So it's a thing. Oh, well, and Dad, we're hiring somebody to I'm do it. I'm just you know? not sure. But like you, I'm not sure, I'm not exactly sure what that has to do with digital advertising, I think. Okay, that 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 could be all right okay well, that, 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 yeah. okay digital that that could I very think, well be yeah. you know you think yeah <laughs> I, bet, I mean that's what i i'm well, what, according what, to this article well, okay that could be well what, what, right and, and i guess maybe if you're in the industry you know that but i it, w- it was kind of funny because i'm sitting there thinking i i i, I was i'm always trying to learn something i mean if i can learn something new every day i i consider that be good I, i'm thinking i've never heard of what this job like i said i've, I've been in this industry for you know full or part-time for more than 25 years and i i just typically i generally know the jobs and I, my guess is it's it's an existing sort of job that now calls something different but um hey if if you're a if you're really darn good at being a programmatic manager we're looking for somebody <laughs> you know and, and then come over and introduce yourself to me and explain what it is that, what it is that this job is is all about all right this this is a fascinating story to me. Melissa, before you leave, I'm going to ask you to make one more guess. All right. The average age of vehicles. Okay. The average age of a car on the U.S. roads. So, I mean, like some people, you know, trade in their cars every three years and somebody else. But what is the average age? How old is the average car? Understanding that this means Half is going to be less and half is going to be more. Would you have a guess on what the average age of a car is? I do, actually. I mean, seeing all the disabled vehicles that we see on the roads all the time, I'm guessing it's about 15 years old. Well, 12, actually. The the average age of vehicles on USA roadways rose to a record 12.1 years last year. Um, it was the first time, this is a new study that's just out today, hot off the presses. It's the first time the average vehicle age rose above 12 years, while the average vehicle age has ridden, risen steadily over the last 15 years. You know, people say that the, the COVID thing, has, the, the pandemic has encouraged that because that more people were inclined to kind of keep their cars. And as we all know, um, as we all know, what's happened is it, new cars are harder to get, which is putting more strain because there's chip shortages and things like that. So it's tougher to find new cars. I, I was uh, I was talking to an auto dealer oh, a week ago. I, we were at an event together, and he was telling me that the, the big problem is they just have no inventory to sell. And he said the only good news is no car dealer ha- has inventory to sell, and that's, of course, putting strain on the used cars and things like that. Um, uh Typically, this is interesting because they say that maybe as 20 years ago or so, the average car might have changed hands once or twice and, and lasted about 100,000 miles. After the car hit 100,000 miles, it would typically, you know, be, be scrapped. It is more, much more common today for a car to have multiple owners and last for 200,000 miles or more. All right. Um, and, and they say, by the way, that this, this rise in average vehicle age doesn't necessarily mean Americans aren't, aren't buying new cars, um, and making do with their current cars longer. What it says is one of the things that's happening is they're adding cars. So maybe it used to be that you'd have two cars in your family. Well, now let's say you've got that teenager instead of trading in the, the one car when you buy a new one you kick the car down to your teenager let your kids drive it things like that our number 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line all right 
How long do you keep a car? And, and I guess it's it's interesting to me because they're they're now saying like a hundred thousand miles used to be the the max end for the car, and now two hundred thousand miles is is not uncommon. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm trying to think. I think probably a, a, the longest time that I've kept a car, uh, I, I tend to buy cars new. I, I buy them new now. And I, I don't, I, right around that 80, 85,000 mile mark is where I guess I found that that's where I start having more and more mechanical problems. And that's where I've kind of, you know, moved on. Um, I'm not saying I've never driven a car. I don't know that I've ever driven a car that had up to 100,000 miles. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The average age of a car on the road today is 12 years old, which means there are half as many under the age of 12 and half as many over the age of 12. 855-616-1620. I mean, wh- why is that? Is it is it because of cost? Is it because they just last longer? Why do you think people are keeping cars longer? And why is the average age going up? 855-616-1620. I've got some theories we discuss in just a moment. And as far as it goes with you, at, at what point in time do you decide, hey, it, it's time to start trading in a car? Is it because of mileage? Is it because of complications? Oh, I'm getting to that point where every time I turn around, something's breaking down on the car. Um, what what motivates you to get rid of your car and get a new one? We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. If you're just tuning in, the new report's out today that says the average age of a vehicle on, on the roadways today is 12 years old meaning half are un- over 12, half are under 12, which I, I I, just, I guess I find it amazing. Cars that used to just kind of disappear after 100,000 miles are now lasting 200,000 miles. Jeff, cars today are lasting much longer than previously. We regularly drive cars well over 150,000 miles. Jeff, I guess we've been the oddballs. All of our vehicles have had at least 200,000 miles on them when we've gotten rid of them over the last 40 years. We had one van that had 453,000 miles on it when it died because it was hit by a drunk driver. Um, Jeff, modern materials, modern manufacturing, technology, and precision that advance computer-assisted driving, etc. Clearly, I, I don't know the terminology, but it's resulted in cars that simply last much, much longer. Jeff, I drive mine for a long time until I start having consistent mechanical issues, and I feel like I'm paying more than I was making on a car payment, and I find it's no longer reliable. Yeah, that's always been kind of, that was always sort of my test. And then I do admit that a few years back, I kind of got gadget envy, and I I was driving a car that, that didn't have heated seats. It didn't have the rear view cameras. It didn't have all that stuff. And then I, I, I traded the car in and I found all that stuff and I liked it. So then I, I've kind of upgraded that. So, I mean, to me, it's, but, but still, a hundred thousand miles has always kind of been my, my point where I've just, I've always felt that it was right around there that the mechanical problems started, you know, kicking in and you'd have to start replacing stuff. Um, 
Jeff, if the cars last long, why do refrigerators only last two years nowadays? Jeff, I bought a 2003 Chevy Cavalier new. I kept it for 16 years. I got it up to over 406,000 miles. I only traded it in for a 2019 Chevy Cruze because GM was ending production of the Cruze. Will in Menominee Falls. Hi, Will. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? So I have a 2005 Audi with over 200,000 miles, so this is a great topic for me. Um, I believe the reason why these cars are lasting a long time is because manufacturers don't want their cars to leave people stranded. Mm-hmm. It's uh, kind of diminishing to the company's value, and also I think the Internet has really created an opportunity for people to uh, connect with each other on their similar issues and fix them easily. You can get the part numbers online, order it. It'll be there the next day. Problem solved. Yeah. Less expensive mechanic bills, and do you, you can do it yourself. Okay, what, what year is your Audi? I'm sorry, what did you say, 2000 what? Five. 2005. So manufacturing, 2004. Do you... See, there, there's some people. With, I, I had a couple friends who years ago bought Mercedes Benz, and the idea is, well, we can we can drive these things forever. But what I found was after after five or six years, they started to get tired of them because the upholstery was wearing out, or they, they just wanted something different. Have you ever gotten bored with your car, or, or no? Um, I mean, you kind of get bored of having to fix it, but <laughs> when you don't have to make a monthly payment. Yeah. You know, it really kind of offsets that. You know, a lot of people are in debt to over their cars. And, yeah. you know, all you have to do is buy a cheap car and keep it running because it's, yeah. I think, pretty easy nowadays if you're willing to get dirty. Yeah, no, th- thanks for the call. Or, or, you, or if you know a good mechanic. Jeff, I just traded in my 1999 Mercury Grand Marquis, received $300 for the trade-in. I bought a 2018 Chevy Trax. The Merc had 160,000 miles on it. Um Jeff, uh, vehicles are, are now so complicated. When you need to repair it, it does cost a, a bunch of money. Well, yeah, but it, it, that that's true. And, and the ability, you, I mean, I think people that are out there can still change their own oil and stuff. But, yeah, with all the computers, you, you pretty much need somebody that can go in and have somebody diagnose it. Jeff, I run my vehicles two hundred to 250,000 miles. They hold up with no issues except general maintenance. Plus, with the cost of new vehicles, it gets expensive. I don't find there any reason to uh, update sooner. Jeff, my 28, 2008 Prius had just over 200,000 mi- has just over 200,000 miles right now. I have no intention of getting rid of it until the cost of repairing becomes more than it's worth, and I have no idea when that will happen. My son is a mechanic, so I can trust his opinion about when I think it will be too costly. Jeff, we've kept our two Jeeps, both over 200,000 miles. It's hard to find V8 Hemi models anymore. The engines just don't seem as powerful that they're making now. Well, that's that is a factor, that there's some there's some things on some of the older cars that, you know, maybe I, I, I've been railing about this, um, this auto engine, uh, auto engine idle thing, you know, where your, your car shuts off, um, at, at intersections. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Hate it. And that's new to, uh, my vehicle in the 2020 model. And there's a button you can push to disable it, but I still, I, I hate it. The, the 2019 model, of the car doesn't have it. The 2018 model, of the car doesn't have it. I, I'm reading that it might be, that in, starting in 2023, that that feature you might not be able to disable it, even with a button, which will definitely 
make me think, okay, maybe, you know, maybe it's time to, again, you know, keep cars that are 2022 on. Jeff, I have a 2002 Chevy Tahoe that will have 20 years in October. It has 180,000 miles on it. It's a rust bucket, but it starts at 30 below zero in the winter and is great in snow. Um, we have 2014 and 2017 daily drivers as well. I keep it for hauling and for towing. Jeff, I tend to keep a car until the cost to fix it costs more than the car. Usually my Toyotas last well beyond 100,000 miles. Jeff, um, let's see. I had a zero, I had a 2002 Avalanche with 315,000 miles on it. I had it for 15 years. Best vehicle I ever owned. The guy that bought it put another 75,000 miles on it before it died. Um, Jeff, I owned a 2003 Chevy Cavalier, rolled 525,000 miles on it. Original transmission engine took about 12 years to kill it. Well, and again, if you if you maintain a car, you know, and I, and I I do. I'm one of those guys that you know religiously does the routine maintenance and stuff. And you've got the right model, yeah, maybe it lasts longer. I guess I was just stunned. Um, cars last longer, Jeff. A lot of them are plastic, so they look good, not rusty. I, I think that's part of it as well. Jeff, my 19-year-old son has a 2004 Volvo S50, S60. It has 223,000 miles on it, still going strong, no rust. The average new car is $30,000. It's cheaper to just fix the car. Well, that that's it. We have just a, a ton of, of text on this, all folks with stories and all people keeping cars longer and longer. So if you look out on the roadways and you start to see more of the older cars on the roadways, it's not just you. It, it's the truth, because for the first time ever, the average age of a car is 12 years old, which would be this is 2021. That means the average age of a car is 2009, which means half are older Okay, when we come back, we're going to find out what's on tap for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.